welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast, Division I National Champion Mississippi State University Head Coach Chris Limonis. This continues our series of ABCA coaches that were national champions this year. Coach Limonis was honored with the ABCA ATEC Coach of the Year Award. Coach Limonis just finished his 26th season as a collegiate coach with stops at the Citadel, Louisville, Indiana, and Mississippi State. In that time span, he has a national championship, five College World Series appearances, 16 NCAA tournament appearances, and four 51 seasons. It's hard to believe that this is Mississippi State's first national championship. It just shows how difficult it is to win the last game of the year. It's a great discussion on Division I baseball and what it takes to climb the ladder at that level. Coach Lamonis is a guy that you root for because you know the sacrifices he made to get the position he's in. Let's welcome Coach Lamonis to the podcast. Here with Chris Lamonis, head coach, Mississippi State, was the ABCA ATEC Coach of the Year, spent time at IU, Louisville, and, and Citadel for a long time. So, Chris, thanks for jumping on with me. Uh, no problem. Excited to uh, do it. And, um, you know, been a crazy summer, so I know we've been trying to get together and finally get a little bit of time. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time. I know you're scrambling with everything, but does it feel any different? Did it feel any different after winning? You know, it does feel different, but it's not like you think. It's, you know, the job, you know, you wake up the next day and you still have the same job and your job's still going. So, and you're competing against the best coaches and programs in the country here in the SEC. So it's been great. It's been a little surreal. It's been pretty busy and hectic. You can imagine I was on a flight last night, flew across the state, saw some alumni uh, fly back. So it's it's a lot of that stuff right now. Our fan base is, uh, they love college baseball. And they they have they are so excited. So we're trying to get out and, and be a part of that. Did you reach any out to any other national championship coaches, maybe to talk to them about how they felt after they won it? I haven't yet, but that's on my plan. That's it's here as we prepare. Not how they felt after they won it, as much as how do you prepare for the next year? There's this there's this closing of the door, I guess, of last year being over and getting your mind right for the next year. And it's I'm not saying every it's hard for everybody, but it's probably a little bit harder here because it is such a big deal because it's the first time the fan base, 
you know, our kids walk around here and they are just, you know, they're patted on the back every day and told them how good they are. And then we're going to open up on February 14th and somebody's going to try to punch us in the nose. So, you know, that's the, that's the part I want to talk to a couple of coaches about. I mean, how unique is that? Everybody looks at Mississippi State's program and such a tradition-rich program, but to, to, for it to be the first national championship there, it's got to be unbelievable. Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, just absolutely crazy. And just, um, you know, we've bought multiple trophies because they're taking them all over the state. And, and, you know, it's just been – our fans are so excited. I got – the coolest part probably is I got letters, I got emails, I got videos – of families like in tears and you know ours is a family program you grow up in this ballpark as a young kid your parents owned a rig or your neighbor owned a rig and you, you've been coming here for years and you know a lot of them laugh because they thought that it never happened you know or, or you get one from somebody who lost somebody recently and how much it would have meant to them and glad we finally did it so there's i mean hundreds of those and your and your dad also and my pops no you know my pops was uh he was in the hospital the whole time we were in in omaha except for the day we got back he got out I think he was just trying to play the sympathy card. Um, but he um, he was excited about it. He got to go to the parade and everything. He thought that was cool. And he's in a retirement home here and has, you know, he has dementia. So it's he remembers certain things, but he's got national championship gear on every time I see him. So he's always got his hat or his T-shirt or something. So, um, and he's a star in there because everybody knows, you know, he's part of the program. So all the, everybody's nice to him. And, and we were fortunate enough to be out there for our meetings um, during the first round of games. I got a chance to watch you guys and watch Bednar pitch that that first game. Um, and you talk about Alphas all the time. Can you dive into to that roster that you had? You know, um, it's something we were talking about last night or who are, the, who are those leaders. And this, you know, our fan base is great. Our stadium's great. And it creates a lot of pressure for our opponents. But it also, you have to be able to handle that daily as a player. And you got to have a little bit of a different mindset and a a Will Bednar or a Landon Sims or a Tanner Allen or Rowdy Jordan. You know, these are some kids that, man, they they compete at the highest level. I mean, I've had an opportunity in three years. You're talking about Jake Mangum. You're talking about Ethan Small. You're talking about Tanner Allen. I mean, these kids have no fear. And I, I think that's one of the biggest qualities as we coach here, that toughness level of being able to handle the environment and play free. And Will Bednar had that too. I mean, he just – there was never a fear to him, even as a young player. What about Brad Cumbus too? Because I've coached football guys, dual football, baseball guys. So that first game, I'm looking at him. I'm like, you know what? There's a guy that probably took him a little bit to get his feet underneath him. But once they get the football shook off, they're they're game changers. Well, yeah, he's used to – he always laughs. You know, Coach, they were really mean when we played there in fo- at Auburn in football. You know, he said, this ain't nothing. And I said, well, I get that. I said, you know, he needed the rust shaking off. Like you said, it's it swings for the football kid. Every year we've had him, he gets better by spring break, you know, just getting out there and playing and getting in the mix. And he was big for us on that run, you know, just being able to get him going. He's such a physical kid, and he's an athlete, so he can kind of do a lot of different things for you. Was there ever a turning point during the season? You know, I don't know. You know, we we had a really good season. We were pretty consistent. We were probably around the top five all year. But we had the first opening weekend in the SEC here at home, and we get swept by Arkansas. And we were young. We still – we got a lot of guys back, but we were young. And uh, that opened our eyes. And then we go through the season. We have a really good season. Um, we get to the second to the last weekend. We're playing for the SEC championship. And Missouri takes two out of three here. And it was like the same thing. It felt like the, the sun wasn't going to come up the next day. And But our kids respond. We go right back out. We play a great weekend on the road. And then we get 10-run rule twice in the SEC tourney. 
So as a, you know, those spots, we had three weekends where it was like, golly, how do we get up? And our team, we were just so resilient to be able to get up. And I think those three weekends and the adversity, because when we lose a weekend to Missouri, you know, you're getting the, the fan base ain't happy either. You hear it, you know, and I think once we got into the postseason and we lose a game, we play an elimination game in our super regional against a really good Notre Dame team, probably one of the better teams we played all year. Then we go to Omaha and we have to beat Texas. You know, we, you know, they come back, we have to win an elimination game against Texas. And then we lose the first game in the championship series. And I think those tough weekends during the year built that for this group. And I think it goes back a couple of years. I mean, Tanner Allen was here in 18 when – they were one of the worst teams in the country for the first half of the season and ended up going to Omaha. So um, just putting your head down and playing the game, you know, sometimes is a, is a, you know, a great skill set for a kid. For, for people that don't pay much attention to Omaha itself, how do you get your staff and your players ready for the unique schedule that you have to go through? Cause that's something you don't deal with all year. So how do you get, get, get everybody to handle that, that schedule? You, you know, I think it's a whole year focus. Cause it is, like you say, it's people everywhere. It's, it's a lot of downtime. It's very short practices. It's, it's, you know, we talked about staying focused. One of our biggest t- terms were focused when it's our time, when it's our time to be together, we have to get work and we have to be ready to go. And you have to be able to tell your family, you know, Hey, I need to rest or I need to do or, or whatever it is. It was a uh, man, 16 days we were there, I think. So it was a, you know, it was a long stretch even for our families as coaches, you know, but I think, I think the biggest thing is was experience helped us a little bit in that, that we'd been there a couple of times. And, you know, you know, we talk about, hey, we're not just going there to get a T-shirt, you know, because everybody wants to run and get a T-shirt or, a, you know, memorabilia because it is such a cool trip. But, hey, man, let's let's play good baseball while we're out here. And, and you know, it's, it's a great year if you go to Omaha and you lose. But, you know, being able to come back with the trophy is just a totally different feeling. Can anything prepare you for the Mississippi State job? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a big job. Like, you know, my job's a lot bigger off the field than it is probably on the field. Baseball's baseball. Um, great players. And and we talk, you know, you know, it's, it's our world's baseball alumni. We have such a big group. We baseball fan base, baseball, you know, facilities and everything. Camp world is big here. And so just the request, I speak probably as much or more than any coach in the country across our state. Unfortunately, it's chicken lunches and rotary clubs and, and everything else. Cause our, everybody just wants to hear about the program and talk about the program. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm so glad I had my four years in Indiana, you know, I, I think that prepared me to be a head coach in, in the big 10. And I, I love my, it's, time it's similar there though, with the speaking engagement piece with big 10 it, schools, it is with that too, but it's also the big 10, man, it's not easy. You know, when you have to be on the road for, you're just finding things that are out of your control a little bit. And I think it helped me prepare to be here. Because, um, you know, we loved our time. Our, our, my wife loved Bloomington. I love Bloomington. My daughter still goes to IU. Uh, we have so many good friends there. I could have stayed there forever because I, I just, I really enjoyed the job. I thought we could win at a high level. But, it, you know, this was one, this was kind of family for me because my parents went, my dad went here. And and how do you turn down Mississippi State? I mean, at that point was, you know, a big one. But I think, you know, IU really helped me. Louisville was to learn how to build a big program, right? Citadel was about working hard, overworking probably. We'd recruit 10 kids at the Citadel to get one. And the other nine didn't even have offers. They just didn't want to go to the Citadel at the time. But we would have to really work to find the kids. So I had a little bit from every spot I was at and had a chance to be around a great ones. But Indiana, in terms of being a head coach, I don't think I could have came in here as an assistant and had the same type of success. 
Well, and, and how do you know? I mean, you've done a good job of picking the right jobs. How how do you know if you're a coach out there that's looking for jobs? I mean, you've picked the right mm -hmm. jobs. Uh, well, <laughs> I've been fortunate there. I, you know, the Citadel took me as a young coach. That's where I played. My best friend, Dan McDonald in the business, you know, he gets the Louisville job and I, I'm sitting behind home plate. I'm up in Chicago recruiting and I'm sitting behind home plate at the White Sox game. I get a text message. Hey, I got the Louisville job. Are you coming? And I just text him back. Yes. And then I had to call my wife and ask if that was all right, you know. Um, but, you you know, it wasn't about Louisville at the time, even though it was a great situation. It was about Dan McDonald and knowing who you're going with, the people that you're going with. And that was – and then, you know, Indiana was a pretty easy one. I had a lot of job opportunities, you know, those last couple of years at Louisville that I may have passed on. And a lot of times you're passing because your kids are in high school, right? You just didn't want to move them or, or do. But when Indiana opened up, I mean, Tracy Smith had built a great program there. And, that I mean, that was a no-brainer. And Mississippi State was a no-brainer. And I turned down some jobs when I was at Indiana too, but I just – you know, or is that part of it too? Is staying patient? I think so. I mean, you get to that point. So. You had so much success, and I think about Brian O'Connor too. He was at Notre Dame forever and stayed patient. And then the Virginia job opened up, and he jumped on it. You know, and I think for coaches that have success, you're going to have a lot of callers come calling. So part of that's staying a little bit patient too. That's right. You have to. I mean, just. I mean, there was a lot of good jobs that I asked to interview or whatever, and I just, I just enjoy. We enjoyed Indiana. I enjoyed Louisville, you know, so there's these pieces that, you know, um, I was at Citadel for a long time, but I just, you know, I wasn't in a spot to move up to one of those type of programs. And, and luckily Dan McDonald's got that job and I was able to jump in with him. So what were the biggest takeaways with Fred Dor Jordan? Work hard, just a fundamental coach. Just it's the Citadel way, you know, hard, fast and long. Just, you know, that was the, we were tough. And I, I joke now our teams at Louisville were different. Our teams in Indiana were different. The biggest correlation is Citadel players are very much like my my Mississippi State players. You know, we got some tough, hard-nosed kids. They like to hunt and fish a lot. They like to, you know, um, it's it's amazing. It's 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 kind of a very similar kid from those two programs. And uh, he just gave me an opportunity to do a lot of things. I got to learn to do a lot as a young coach. You know, you don't have an academic center at the Citadel. You don't have you know the compliance world, the study halls, the you know equipment. We don't equipment managers back then. We did it all. Me and Dan McDonald were. You know, I was doing the pants before the first game. Like it just, you, we did study hall nights. We just did everything as a young coach and uh, we recruited, we took care of the fields, literally not the main field, but we had a practice field and we had to, you know, this time of year, we'd be edging and dragging and doing it all. So um, I learned a lot about all aspects of coaching at that point. The young coaches don't get that as much anymore. No, they don't. And that's how you and I connected because <laughs> I had coached against Dallas, Dallas McPherson in the Cape. So that was that Citadel connection. He was an unbelievable player for you guys and also – We Kituit. got him there. I don't know. So we, we begged and pleaded. So he was a really good – one of the best players ever at the Citadel. Does it help now your job to have an AD that was in your seat? Yeah, it does. I was – you know, actually I was worried about it. You know, when you take – it's not just John. You know, my AD, John Cohen, played here, coached here. But his assistant is Ron Polk because you can imagine. And Coach Polk lives about six houses from me. So, um, you'll look up there in a fall scrimmage, and they're both up there taking notes. I don't know if they're going to hand me the lineup card. Um, but I, I will tell you this. It's, it's been a – I was worried because you are, you, you know, going to play for a former coach. And Indiana made he didn't know a lot about baseball, just he knew how to run an athletic department. Um, so he never asked me about first and third defense or anything like that. Whereas John, 
he is a numbers guy and he is a brilliant baseball guy. And I will call him, especially in my first year. All right, I need the baseball coach. Tell me about playing here on the road or what should we do? Or what are your thoughts on this? Or because in the SEC, you're not running around calling all the other coaches all the time. You're call, you know, it's just nobody's handing out, you know, suggestions in our league. So John was really good there. And then Coach Polk is awesome too, because we got Coach Polk, you know, in our thing. But you know, I, the biggest thing I give John, he understands how hard this job is. I think that's the biggest point. And um, we win, we win. But if we have one of those tough weekends like I spoke about earlier, he's the first guy texting me on the phone. It's okay. You just got to survive. He knows. You can't lose your team in this. And I think that's – we have a great staff. Jake Gotro, Scott Foxhall, Kyle Cheeseborough, and all the rest of my staff. And we've done a good job of not just losing our minds and just being able to put our head down and get back to work on Monday morning. And instead of making a bad weekend, a bad month, right? I think that's a big key. And Roger also, I mean, what are the keys to, you brought some of those guys with you and you kept some guys that were there. What yeah, is the key to hiring the right are, people? Yeah. Having the right people is huge, especially in, you know, in every job it's huge, but ours is a pressure cooker. So not only having talented people know how to do the job, but you also need to have people good demeanor and our, our group can kind of, we get a lot, not that we don't argue or whatever, but I think there's a lot of respect in our staff between our coaches, but also our players so that we can be honest and we can be real and we can not overreact, which I'm probably the biggest overreactor. So um, everybody else will keep it calm. But it's a, uh, you know, I really like our group, you know, over time. we I was able to bring Roger and Cheese here. You know, Cheese followed me from Louisville. Roger was at Indiana. And so we've kind of just picked up pieces as we moved along. But it's a, it's a really tight group. <coughs> you talked about arguments. What are those tips for handling staff arguments? I think to be honest and be in the room. And then when we walk out the room, we all be on the same page. We, we can't always all agree. You know, there's got to be some faith in, you know, I'll listen to everybody. I think everybody in our room from our, in, from our volunteer to our head assistant to whatever, they all have the same voice once we're in there. And I think, I think our group knows we can all lay it out there and, and put it on the line and, you know, and then be honest about it and toss and turn you. Cause you do, you have a lot of different, you know, opinions. And then we, uh, you know, come to a decision and then we stick with it, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes it's hard for some people to do that, but I think our, our group's done a nice job with it. And, and I, I'm, I think one of the biggest keys is as a head coach to be able to admit you're wrong, you know, or I, I missed on that one. You know, if you walk around and you have to be right all the time, man, that's a tough world to be in. And like I tell our guys all the time, I, you know, we recruit a wrong kid. I, I wanted that guy. So I said, it's, you know, for me to be able to say, you know, I, I missed on that one and understand being a recruiter for so long for me to think you're going to hit on every kid and everything's going to be perfect. It just doesn't happen. And, and it's okay. And, and we just, you know, we want to get the right ones here. And recruiting thickens your skin up. I mean, the amount that you get told, no, it does thicken your skin up as a recruiter. Right. That's right. Like even here, you know, you would think, Hey man, you don't lose a lot of kids and all we lose kids. We, you know, everybody thinks, you know, coach with that park and that fan base and you shouldn't lose anybody. And I tell them all the time, if, you know, and now if the kid likes to hunt and fish, we probably don't lose him much, but we, uh, you know, we lose kids. I mean, we got great teams in our league, great teams across the country. Well, there's a lot of and, family uh, ties similar to the big 10 country. There's a lot of family ties to sec schools. There are a lot of family ties to big 10 schools. So you're going to have some, some hurdles with a kid are, whose yeah, family grew hurdles. up following a different school. That's right. That's right. And so you get, you get that and you just get, you know, 
you get kids that want to go do see, see something different or do something different, or even in your own. You know, when I was at Louisville, we would lose Louisville kids to Kentucky and get kids out of Lexington to go to Louisville because they just want to leave town, you know, and same thing in, you know, in different places that I've been, but it's, you know, recruiting does, recruiting does toughen you up and, and uh, you learn a lot about coaches in the recruiting process of, you know, it, it's a grind. It never shuts off. You know, the recruiting world, you get a phone call at midnight or 7 a.m. and you're just, you know, you're working on it as much as you can. What were your biggest transitions going from recruiting coordinator to head coach? My biggest one was that every time I made a decision, it affected like eight or nine people. Yeah. So I would change one little thing in my schedule and then end up in practice and nobody else knew. So the communication piece was huge, you know, I think. And uh, I hope my staff would say this, but I, I try to let my guys coach. I really, and it's really, it's not hard for me in the pitching world with Scott Foxall um, because I didn't pitch, you know, even though somebody will hit a ball and I'll make a comment, you know, like typical bad coach, but it's really with the offensive side. And as time has gone on, only comments I really make, and I, we do game notes afterwards, but the actual swing and stuff like that, I talk to Jake. I'll say, hey, Jake, here's what I see. And then Jake can process it any way he wants and use it. Um, but he is so good as a hitting coach. I, I don't, I don't have to do that a lot. And I let it kind of lay with him. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned with my guys and my guys all have big responsibility. Some places the head coach does everything. Um, but I don't, and it, it, I don't think I could, I'm not wired that way to be able to do everything. So I put a lot of trust into our staff and, you know, in the scouting piece that we do, we have the people behind the scenes doing defensive shift or breaking down a pitcher. And I spent a lot of time with those notes, but, you know, we have so many people in our you, you gotta give trust or you're gonna probably drive yourself crazy. You've coached great offensive teams. I mean, what are some keys to developing a complete offensive team? Great players, number one. So I always I always use that one. Um, you know, there's nice has to be a nice blend most of the time. You know, I, I find now, hey, if we all hit three thirty, we're gonna be a good offense, right? So that's pretty easy. But I think in most offenses, I like to be physical and athletic. I tell our guys all the time. So um, not every kid's going to be physical and, but most of them should, and not every kid's going to be athletic because you could have a big banger first baseman in the middle, but we try to have a blend that we can win different type of games. We can win it with the, you know, the inside game and we can win it, um, with the home run. So you try to have a little blend, especially in our league. And then the, the biggest thing that we do that I, I really, Jake Gotro does an unbelievable job is, man, we don't punch out. I mean, we do punch out, but not like most people. And, uh, we are a grinded out offense. So we won so many games during the year because the starters coming out in the fifth inning. And by the time you get to Sunday, they've used an extra reliever or two or something, you know, so we, you look up at pitch counts and, and just, you know, we're just not giving you easy outs. And our pitchers are usually so happy to start the season because it's frustrating because you're spending so much more energy and pitches trying to get guys out because we just, we just grind. And that was, you know, that's been Jake's the whole time I've been here, a quality of his offenses. And you're close to one-to-one -to, -one to strike out to walk. At the Division One level, if you look at, at a stat line for a team, if they're, if they're close to one-to-one, -to -one, that's a, a pretty good offensive pretty team tough. at the Division One level. We add walks and HBPs compared yeah. to strikeouts. And we're, we're usually, at the end of the year, we're usually one-to-one -one or just a little over that, you know, but we're, we're always pretty close. And that's – when I go to look get a scout report on another team, that's the first thing I look at. You know, they punch out a lot. Do they get a lot of freebies? Do they, you know – you know, those type of things more than batting average these days. You know, like I said, if everybody's hitting 330, then that's a really good offense. I think Arizona was at this past year. So you get some, you know, some teams like that. But for the most years, you're trying to, you know, have a nice blend of everything. 
you're big on post-game talks, and I know everybody kind of has their own philosophy. What's <laughs> what's the key to giving a good post-game talk? Because I don't I don't think I was very good at it. I think I dragged well, it on too long. I, I try not to coach in that post-game talk, right? Like you, we come back the next day and we do all our game notes. So I really try not to hit them on anything they did bad during the game because they are shut out and ready to go. Here, because our fan base, they want to, you know, something they started a couple of years ago, and now it gets to be a little bit of pressure to have something to say every game. But, you know, we have a wind shirt that we use in our in our dugout. A lot of people do a wind shirt. So I always usually grab, you know, grab the wind shirt, and we talk a little bit about, you know, what happened in the game and guys that did good things in the game and, and you know, just try to fire them up and kind of fire them up for the next day too. And so then we'll hand the wind shirt out. The wind shirt has the number of that game on it. So – um, our philosophy a lot is just to be in about that game, that moment, that game. We don't talk about sweeps. We don't talk about getting swept. We just talk about coming out and winning that one game is always our focus. So it's hard for our fans sometimes because they always want to talk about sweeping. And we just you – know, it's hard enough to win the one game instead of thinking about winning three. And so we hand that out to the player. It's, it's not always the player of the game. If Will Bednar throws seven shutout innings, then he usually gets a shirt. But it could be a guy got a bunt over in the eighth. Or a guy got to win, you know, one base hit in the ninth, uh, or moved a runner over, or made a great play, and you try to share it around. But what's funny if I went back to Indiana and said, "Hey, what's number twenty-seven? I can't remember." That player will tell you, Coach, I had two doubles against Iowa. You know, you know, on the road to win the game. Like they, it means a lot to the kids, which is which is pretty cool. Do you have foundations for the program? As in anything, I mean, are, do you have foundations? Or you're just kind of letting it play out organically. It plays out pretty organically, you know, for the most part. We, we meet next week and we talk about a handful of things, but it's nothing, you know. Um, ours is about, you know, I know this is so simple, but it's just about playing hard and doing the right things. And we really don't have a rule book, you know. I talk to them next week. We have some standards that we go by. Um, there's a lot of responsibility to be a player here at Mississippi State, on and off the field. So. We talk about some of those things, but, you know, one of the biggest ones from the day I got here, now I took over and the team's plane landed from Omaha and they got on the bus, and they drove and they met me. So you talk about an awkward conversation, right? And really the biggest thing we talked about in that meeting is playing hard, playing the game the right way. And I know it's very simplistic, but um, it's what are some what we, specifics when you're like, hey, we're going to play hard. Do you give them specifics like this is an example of playing hard? It could be, yeah, there's certain things. I mean, it's, uh, you know, running to first, right? I don't know. It's a simple one. Um, and, you know, and usually I just take a guy right out. And I've had to do it at numerous places that I've been. I, I don't yell. I don't scream anymore. I used to, you know, and get pissed and everything else. But I'll just, you know, you just come out of lineup and somebody else goes in. And I did it with my best player at one spot and it never happened again, you know. Or, well, you know, we talk about getting on and off the field. We talk about, you know, staying invested in the game. I think that's one thing our team always does well is, and when you play other people, you know, Mississippi state's going to fight you to the last out. I think those are some of the things that we talk about. You know, I was so proud of our group. when We were in Omaha. We're behind Texas late in the game. We come back and tie it up. We have bases loaded, no outs. And the guy strikes out all three guys. We come out it starts to rain guy hits a home run back into Iowa, you know? And so we come off in a rain delay and it's eight to five and it's the, you're depressed. I mean, you're like coming in and, you know, the stadium's empty in and, and two hours later, like at one in the morning, we come out and have to finish this game. And they came out to win. Like they came out, they just never 
they, they just never stop. And, and so in our fan base was there and a lot of them stayed there. We ended up losing the game, but it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, man, it's a special group there. You know, they're, they're in this They're in, you know, we had to come back and win a nail biter because against that Texas team the next day, but it was, uh, those are some of the things, just, just basic things, you know, doing things the right way. I know it's very basic, but, um, you know, and like I said, I'm working on my PowerPoint for next, you know, next week as the, as the new team comes and we have so many new guys, I'm just trying to, you know, build that piece. But our culture grows as, as the year goes on. You know, How long probably, is the PowerPoint? We probably have an hour. It's probably 40 minutes too long because my guys, we're really good baseball players, but we can be a little attention deficit problem sometimes. So um, I try to speak in small – and really it's funny you ask that. I, I speak in small spurts, and I break up practice, and I speak in small spurts because the kids these days, I, to sit them down and give a long speech um, – you know, just they, they don't stay locked into me. Yeah, Even our, it's, look at our social media. I always tell them, hey, a minute, minute and a half. Just, you know, and we do the same thing with our team. So I usually don't have too many long. It's just this first one's about everybody else's stuff that you got to go over. So, yeah, it's the accordion technique. You know, you talk, you send them out, you bring them back, you talk, you send them out. Um, I think yeah. in the classroom, it works that way for this generation. I think on the field, it works this that well, we way. Do, for the we gen- we this have generation. our big meeting and practice in the middle of practice. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, we always finish with BPs and then the pitchers do bullpen. So kids are leaving at different times, you know, as we're doing, because I just trying to keep their attention span is tough. And, and, you know, when I showed up here my first year, Jake Mangum, he had four head coaches, four bunt defenses, four first and thirds, four, you know, like you can't even keep them straight at that point. Right. And, you know, we try to keep it very simplistic. We don't you know, we're not real fancy, but, um, you know, I was very in tune to that, you know, at that point. How do you organize your 12-month calendar for the program? How are you organizing I, all that? I got right here. So it's uh, in front of me. It sits in front of me about middle of the spring. I start doing it. I, I will admit it's not much different than year to year besides adding new things. And, um, you know, I learned a lot last year through COVID. You know, I, I've always been so strict on my schedule and everything mattered so much and it Last year we got here and we got quarantined for two weeks and I'm losing my mind and we can't do an Omaha challenge. And we came back late from the holidays. I mean, just, and we had the best year ever. Now I don't think it was any of that was a reason one way or the other, but um, what I do like about it, we do a, I do a fall semester, spring semester. I actually have the whole, whole year here. I've already got it done. The kids, I, I think if the, yes, the kids, what they like about our program, I know Jake Mangum had said it, Kids are so big about their time now and they want to know when and where and what. And, you know, and even me, like I give them a bunch of weekends off. If we play a home football game here, I got to the point where let them be a college kid for a weekend. Let them go to the football game. Let them, you know, we used to practice in the morning, swing them over there. Like I just practice Sunday night, you know, give them some time and and we do some different things. I, I want them to be college kids. I want them to, you know, there's weekends in the, you know, once we get off the field, they have about six weeks and we don't do anything on the weekends. If you want to go hang out with a buddy at another college near us, or you want to go do something, you want to go home, you want to go, my guys want to go hunt, you know? So they have the time to do that. Cause once the spring starts, you don't have anything, you know, as a college baseball player. So we try to, you know, give them that space and things change a little bit, but I think our kids respect the fact that we respect their time. And I'm not an over-practice guy. You know, we'll practice our full four hours if it's a scrimmage. But we practice, you know, we do a lot of one-on-one work and we'll start early and just do some one-on-one. And so 
a kid feels like his practice whole practice was maybe two, two and a half hours, but I'm usually not sitting the kids out there for four hours straight, just teaching bunt defense and, and doing things like that. Like I said, we hit them in quick burst, uh, you know, and, and 10, 10, 15 minutes segments of practice. We do three or four of those and then a BP and then we'll get out trying to keep it. I kind of learned that, you know, back in the day, Ray Tanner kind of went to some of that stuff and I always, you know, you want your kids to enjoy it and be fresh. Um, I know there's a toughness side that we have to give, but wearing them down every day is probably, you know, I, I don't know if that takes the joy out of it for some. That's good for the coaches too. I think that's a byproduct of giving a weekend off here and there is it helps your coaching staff also. Oh yeah. Well, you know, in our world we're recruiting. Yeah. So that's why sometimes I have them off or doing is because of recruiting, but you know, you know, and then we're, you know, a football game here, you have visits on campus and doing so, but for our kids just to be able to, you know, in here, it's so much fun. Like, you know, you got Auburn here for a football game or Alabama or somebody like that. I mean, this place is nuts. So enjoy the weekend, enjoy the game, be smart, you know, but um, that's kind of how we handle it from our side. And you have a good mix of JUCO and high school guys on your team, on your roster. I mean, what <laughs> dictates how you're going to blend your roster? Um, usually necessity, but we always plan on a little bit of, of our JUCO guys. Like it's uh, the JUCO bandits, you know, I've always – we had them in Louisville, had some in Indiana and had them here. And in Indiana, you don't have a lot of JUCO kids in the Big Ten. We had more than most because I just – they they went through it harder than anybody else, right? And we have a great state, you know, Mississippi JUCOs in our state. I and mean, we got great JUCOs down here and in the states around us. So um, we pull kids from a lot of different spots. And, you know, last year in the World Series, we win the Texas game. I put in Braylon Skinner. He's a, you know, JUCO – guy and then Tanner Leggett gets the hit he's the Juco guy there that they win the game and they're talking about Juco bandits in our locker room the next night we go out and Houston Harding pitching Juco player and I told him before the game I said Houston just relax just act like you're pitching against uh Hines Community College and you'll do fine you never lost to Hines now Preston Johnson the guy who relieved him and finished the last five innings was from Hines so he said he never beat him you know they were just we do have that dynamic in our clubhouse and these are good kids, good players. And they, uh, like I said, we just got great coaches and great JUCOs in our state. And, uh, and they, they were a huge part of our national championship last year. And you know what it's supposed to look like from a player's perspective. How do you go about asking a player to make an adjustment if he needs to? Well, I think it first starts relationship wise. You know, I think that's the biggest thing you have to have a good enough relationship. We talk about that with our coaches all the time. They got to trust you. And, um, but I, you know, when, when our kids first come to us in the fall, we don't, um, we give them some time. I don't want to bring a kid in. I learned that my first year in Indiana, you know, we brought a kid in the first week we start talking about his swing. He doesn't hit, um, doesn't work out for him. And well, y'all changed my swing. And there was some truth to that, right? Like it's, uh, you know, so I try to, we don't change a lot of swings till at least we get to the end of the fall and we've had success or failure from that point. Same thing pitching-wise. You know, in the pitching world today, it's so much new stuff and so much different stuff, and we have all that. And I think Scott Foxhall does a great job. We just don't – we don't put one guy in a cookie-cutter place. You know, we we have guys in all these different type of programs and throwing programs and trying to do – and then Scott spends a lot of time with them once the fall's over. We, we're, we're one of the few down here in the south. We start – we're on the field – right after Labor Day. We get on. We want to see our guys. We want to see what we got. If we if we have some injuries, they get a little more time. And then we love that period, the last six weeks of the fall, because it just goes into individual work. 
you know, we my first year here, we had a kid, Kobe White. Kobe uh, and couldn't throw a strike in the fall. And we pitched him in our last fall scrimmage against Jacksonville State. He walks the bases loaded, walks everybody in, and we lose. And uh, for me as the head coach, I don't, I see Kobe in the weight room. I see him everywhere. But him and Fox worked multiple times every week. And, shoot, he's a six-rounder the next spring, one of the best pitchers in our league. He's in double-A now. And a lot of that was just the confidence built in the offseason, just in a one-on-one basis with Fox. So, you know, we feel like we use that time of the year so much. So it's a lot of one-on-one when we do it, though. I've learned that, you know, it's just hard to coach a kid or embarrass a kid in front of everybody. There's some shame. There's some to, shame to kids if you're doing it in front of their teammates. That's right. And we do it. You know, I told you we do game notes the next day. So if we play a game, we could play great or play bad. Usually when we play great, there's more game notes because there's more times on the bases we screw up or things that we screw up, right? And I give that speech two or three times a year, like, hey, in these game notes now, and I try to be 50-50, 50% good, 50% bad. But in those game notes, I explain to them all the time, like, hey, we have to learn from our mistakes. So I said, it's not about you personally. It's about our team and about our team not making the same mistake again. Because if I get up there and I say, hey, look, at you know, what do we do right here? And I'm, I'm going over something bad. We do all ours on video then that kid could feel like, hey, man, coach is trying to show me up, and I really try to, to shy away from that. Yeah. And if I ever have an issue, one thing I've learned in my career as a head coach is, and I could be loud and I can be a call-out type of guy, but I, I try to – I do a lot more of that in my office one-on-one now and try to, you know, say, hey, here's what – what are we doing? You know, you know, we kids do stupid things. I did stupid things at 18 years old. I try to do a lot more of that one-on-one in my office instead of – I don't want a kid to feel like, you know, he's being made an example of in our program. So um, not that he won't be coached hard. And I tell kids all that time, you come here, we're going to coach you really hard. We take your development very serious. But, you know, you're going to be coached hard and be respected. I think that's the line we try to hit. How are you guys handling name, image, and likeness? No, it's it's kind of a, a new frontier for everybody right now. So I'm intrigued to see how everybody's handling this. How are you guys handling it? A lot of meetings, a lot of talk, trying to figure out some things. Our kids are doing a great job with it. Nowhere in the country before we won the national championship could probably you make more money in college baseball than here. But now after you win a national championship and the excitement, we have some guys doing some things in different ways. And I think we've just scratched it. We're not even, you know, our kids, we got back and, you know, either the draft picks left, but Tanner Allen, the day he got back, he opened his website, sold every T-shirt and trading card on there. Like they're selling T-shirts, they're, a lot of it's social media. So I'm finding we were in a meeting yesterday and most of this, I think 85% of our kids are social media doing it some way. And in here, we've been able to, my Mississippi kids, especially, they've done a lot of camps in their hometowns, you know, so camps have been a big thing of being able to make money in their hometown. So I think, you know, our kids, you know, some of, but. Probably makes compliance is life a little bit easier. Don't you think? And, and that would they're. Well, like I tell them, usually you're worried, you're scared of compliance. And now, right now, compliance is kind of the ones helping out. And they're they're pushing and helping out. They're like, we want our kids to make money. If they can make money, let them make it, especially in a partial scholarship sport. But the hard part for us is we had three or four guys go to Team USA, so they couldn't do anything. You had eight or nine go to the Cape Cod League that just got back. Like, then those are probably your biggest earners, you know, sometimes just because of the star power. And so um, – I think we'll see a little bit more from them as time goes on. What would you like to see more out of youth coaches, parents, and players right now? <laughs> That's a hard question. <laughs> um, well, I'll start with parents. You know, uh, 
enjoy the process, you know, like I, I and, and, you know, I know some of them seem to be just, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. Like every time, I mean, that's, you know, Chris Burke, who's a good friend of mine who, who was with us at Louisville now and works with ESPN. He had a great comment and I was a hitting coach and he just said, never forget how hard it is to hit, you know, it was, it was such a, it's such a simple statement, but you know, for me, I've kind of eased up over the years because it's such a tough sport that we play and you want the kids to enjoy it from that side. Um, you know, coaches, I, I think, I think our group, like we got great state of coaches, but I've, everywhere I've been, I felt like that, um, you know, kids love to be organized and they love to be pushed. I think, I mean, I just, you know, and finding a way to, to put them in the best environment. And, you know, one of the biggest things for me, my first seven years of my career, I was an elementary PE teacher. And I had a physical education degree, even though I went as an electrical engineer, I went from EE to PE in about a two week period at the Citadel. And, but you know what they taught you in PE is how to maximize your space, maximize your times, not having, you know, even in our camps, I'll go and I'll see one line and one kid getting a ground ball. And I'm like, no, that's not how we do it. Like, you know, being able to get our kids in the best space and be, be as functional of we're coaching what we need to coach in a game. Sometimes we're just coaching stuff, right? Or we're staying out there forever and it's not, I was with, I was actually with Mike Leach last night and he made that same comment that, you know, sometimes, you know, he wishes we still had three days because he wouldn't do them, but he knows his opponents would. Sometimes when you're in three days, you're just trying to, you're just wearing them down, you know, instead of being really functional and really, you know, can this help us? Even our in and outs, are those throws that we make? Are we, you know, sometimes you watch somebody's in and out, like we, you never make that throw. Like being really attention to detail on, on what you need to be able to do in a game. I think, and I think we do a good job with that with our coaching staff. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Well, for me, I was, a, it, it wasn't as a coach. It was as a player. You know, I, I, I was the worst guy in our clubhouse. And so when I showed up to Citadel, I was a walk on. I, uh, I can still, I remember walking into the clubhouse with my dad, walking into the clubhouse. I had my bag that very first day. You're looking for your locker. I got no locker. No, no, no. There's more lockers in the back. And I kept walking. And then there was the, the toilets. And there was the last lockers looking at the toilet. And it said Lamonis. And I was like, <laughs> my dad, I can still remember it. He said, there's nowhere to go but up. I said, you're damn right, you know. And, um, you know, my first year I was a bullpen catcher. My second year I was a walk-on. I had like – I played in like nine games. We go to Omaha, but I'm not a part, you know. And that was a really tough time for me, you know, you know, because my, my best friend, Dan McDonald's a starting second baseman. Tony Scholes the starting third baseman. I mean, we just – all my roommates, Scott Elvington starting in the College World Series as a shortstop. And I was a good player, but I hadn't figured it out yet. And that was a point to me that I was always the late bloomer a little bit, you know, and I felt like, um, you know, I think that's helped me in my career, being able to come up as a walk-on, to be at the Citadel. There's all these, you know, I just, there's just not a lot of, I, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of prima donna. I just feel like I've had to, I've had to earn it every step of the way. And I, I think it started there. You know, I think that was pretty, I, you know, fortunately for me, my time at the Citadel, it was just, it was great. I mean, we just had so much success. I go to Louisville and help Dan with that. And in Indiana, we keep moving on and then we've been here. So, um, you know, we what, what helped you get over the hump as a player? I think it was my coach kind of pushing me to the side a little bit, you know, kind of pissed me off. And, and I came back my junior year. He said, Hey, you got a couple of weeks to prove. I, I just don't need junior players that aren't going to play, you know, 
Um, it was said that many years ago. It's still said, right? And um, it really forced me to, you know, become a dude. I could always hit. So I was a really good hitter. Even as a freshman, I could hit. But I got kicked out of BP that year. We were in Omaha. That We had an Omaha team, not while we were in Omaha. Because I was hitting home runs, and I was with all the big hitters, but I wasn't playing, and I was talking trash. And they were just like, you're just distracting everybody. Like, I could hit, but I just – I was the worst defender ever. So – and I was told I couldn't – him a hog in a ditch down there at the Citadel. And I couldn't, you know, um, I, I struggled defensively. So, and that's helped me, you know, I still, I'm an outfield coach now and I take a lot of pride in it. I had to learn to play the outfield. And so all my little drills are things that I had to do, you know, as an outfielder. And, and you guys so, have a good defensive squad. I mean, field at 975. I mean, is that something that, that helped you now looking back is okay. I wasn't a great defender, but you coached some great defensive teams. You're, it's going to be hard to win in Omaha without defense, too. You know, like you just – and we struggled defensively earlier. When we had our issues, we struggled defensively because um, we punched out a bunch of guys, and if you make plays, you know, that was – I think we're the first team, I may be wrong, that won it all or played that many games. We did not make an error in Omaha. That was one of the prouder moments. When, and we knew it at game six or seven, and every ball that got hit, we were like, we're just waiting. And we wanted to have that record, you know, as, as a proud thing there as our, as our defense because we struggled, and we took a beating – we had to make some changes during the year defensively, and, and we struggled. Um, but, man, the kids really came together. You know, we, and we changed some things up late in the year, uh, you know, in some of our defensive practice. Because everybody's, you know, Notre Dame. What did you switch up? You know, we usually just do a lot of ground balls, right? We do some fundamental work, and we do ground balls. We do a lot of ground balls with the machines because then we can make infielders move. Because I, I feel like guys get too many ground balls. Once we start BP, the machine. The cages seem to be getting shorter. My BP throwers' arms are hanging. So we started uh, what we call lightning rounds, and we did this every day while we were, and we did it while we were out there every day. We would take uh, we 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 would start our deep. We do a defensive period every day. We would start it with lightning, BP pitcher. We try to get a small L screen and kind of turn it so it's not blocking a lot of balls, and our outfielders would come in and hit ground balls live. And every day we would do something different. So you're playing. Texas and they like to push bunt. You're playing, um, you know, we defensive shift. So we're taking a lot of balls out of defensive shift and turning double plays out of anchor pulls. And we're doing all this. And we would spend about 10, 12 minutes every day. And our outfielders actually got really good at it. They enjoyed it. It's probably good for them a little bit, some back control. But we would just taking live reps, we just don't do it enough. You know, we, we we're always taking a fungo or a machine. And so it made us, I, I felt like we became more athletic. You know, and we started that probably right around the postseason just because we were running into these teams that put pressure on you in different ways. And uh, we felt like we needed, we took our catcher, put him at first. He struggled with the bunt. So we had, we tried to work on some PFP plays and some things that way. So, but I felt like that really helped us at the end of the year. Young coach that's trying to get into it right now, what are some things that they need to, to get good at? It depends on who you, you know, who you are. The, um, the analytics side is huge for some. Like, I, I think that's going to be a prerequisite for a lot of guys because, you know, we're using all this. You know, one way to get in the door right now is is be a new age type of guy. Um, we're kind of 50-50 in our program. We like to at least think we are in terms of we use some of it. But I don't want to replace the old school fundamental baseball piece either. So that you have to be able to do both and be able to assimilate the information, you know, like being able to get it into them, you know, knowing or having all these numbers on your computer, how do we teach with it or how does it help us win a game? You know? So I think that's a piece, um, find the right spot and start working. You know, I, I my first year I went Citadel, I didn't make a dollar. 
I literally didn't make a dollar until we had camp that summer. And I earned every dollar in camp. I can tell you that. And it, it just, you know, learn the game and learn that and, and just try to get in and coach. You know, we have a lot of our guys they are moving out into JUCOs here and coaching some JUCO ball because you get more responsibility. Sometimes we want to go to a big place, but I don't have the responsibility. You know, you go to junior college, you learn it all. You know, so for guys, you know, but it's different for everybody. Somebody's trying to get into high school. Somebody's trying to get into, you know, AAU ball or whatever it might be. But it's, you know, the analytics side's a big, especially if you're a pitching guy at this point. You know, we we spend a lot of time. We're trying to learn as a staff. We're trying to learn as much as we can. We're trying to figure it out. And we don't know it all, you know. And, and so having that growth mindset still is a, is a huge piece. And we talk, like, even I got a couple of young guys on my staff late. We're going to the convention. I'm trying to take as many guys as I can because all these little – what you get at the convention now is you get all these breakout sessions and you get all these things where now you're hanging out and listening to two or three other guys talk about it and you've been able to use it that way. And I think those are some some big pieces. Yeah, we continue to try to evolve with the industry itself to help our, our members because we're in that growth mindset as well. Like, okay, there's new things out there. We need to, to make sure everybody's at least getting introduced to all the new things that are out there as well. That's right. And you, and it's, it's every guy, I got guys on my staff that are 50 years old. And I got guys that are 23 years old. And so there's a level for us all, you know, it's not just, it, it's cool to go out there cause you're meeting people, you're hanging out with people, you're doing things and, and seeing old friends, but it's also, there's a learning piece to it. And, um, you know, being able to pull that stuff. And I usually ride a bike a lot. It doesn't look like it, but I like to just sit there and ride a bike. And I, is that I one of your routines? I was going to ask you about your, your mo- cause I saw you walking during Omaha yeah, I walk. I walk a good bit, and I do it. Um, I try to do something, but I ride the bike, and I listen to the ABCA videos or scouting reports. You know, watching another team play. But I just like I like listening to other coaches' podcasts. I'm riding down the road. If I get on a trip, I'm listening to two or three. I'm just trying. I don't take everything, but we take something from everybody, right? I mean, we're we're playing Vanderbilt during the regular season this year, and I'm you know Tim Corbin does like that most organized, the most efficient you'll ever see. And I'm just watching and I'm trying to pick out the pieces that I like, you know, so it's, you know, you're trying to take a little bit from everybody. And I've known Tim for 25 years. We were assistants back in South Carolina, but you know, just, there's just so many good people out there that do it and they do it in different ways and it's okay. And you know, just got to find out what's right for your team. How were you able to balance your family all those years as a recruiting coordinator? It's tough. It was tough. You know, I tell my, all my young coaches now enjoy every minute and you know, cause it feels hectic when you have a five-year-old and a four-year-old and a, you know, you're trying to get them to practice and your wife's mad at you and you're, you know, because um, my eight years at Louisville were, I mean, I was gone more. I, I could maybe say as much as much or more than anybody in the country. And we had to, we had to go do it. And everybody on the staff did it that way. But, you know, I missed a lot, you know. And so luckily, you know, Dan McDonald was so great at Louisville where you had a tr- your weekend every year where you could take a kid, you know, you take my, take my daughter. I'm in New York City. We're playing St. John's and I'm eating lunch at the American girl store, you know, and we're, we're doing all those type of things and we're going to the, you know, you know, big East was great back then for us because you're in all these great cities, you know, Philadelphia and, and New York. And, and we just went to so many cool places that our kids got to go and be a part of. So that's one way we, we kind of took care of it. And then you got to have a great wife. I mean, that's just, you know, just, it's hard to make it and be that type of guy without somebody who's, cause she's has a full-time job at the house. Yeah. And, and you see that all the time, and you see so many of them in our sport. 
Yeah, I forgot my son my first year at Iowa. He was at the university preschool, and we're getting into practice, and my wife shows up with Jackson, who's young at this point. She goes, do you want to apologize to your son? I'm like, for what? She was like, you left him at preschool today. I'm like, oh, no, it was my day to pick him up. So yeah, it uh, happened. never happened again, but it happens. And when you have, you know, boys are good, which my girl, like one of my daughters was a back girl for a long time, and they get to know the teams and they get to know the players. And, you know, we try to have them over to our houses. Now COVID has been a little different, but bringing your kids to your houses and, you know, they get a lot, they joke me all the time. Cause like, yeah, dad, we had to do. And I said, yeah, but you're flying on charter planes and, and going to these places and doing things that other kids don't get to do too. So there's a, there's a give and a take at our level. And I think they handle the college environment then when, you know, your daughter's at IU, my son's getting ready to go to UNC Asheville. I think they're able to handle the college environment much better because they've been around it. They know what it looks like. Oh, that's right. And they knew what kind of schools they wanted to be at when mine started coming out. They had a pretty good idea. Unfortunately, none of my kids wanted to be around me. So it's, uh, you know, when I was at one place, they went the other direction. When I was at IU, my daughter wasn't going to go to IU. And when I left, she wanted to go to IU. So... It's a, she was going to Alabama, which is about an hour from us here and flip flopped once I took the job. So, um, and we're very close, but they just, they don't want to be in dad's shadow is what they don't want. Mine, same thing. Same thing. Mine. They want to do their own thing. That's it. That's what they should. So what are some final thoughts? No, not a lot. Just, uh, you know, love where college baseball's at right now. Uh, You know, where, you know, it's nice to get back on the field this past year, play in front of fans, um, you know, our game is growing just every year is growing and getting better. And, um, man, we just got to keep it growing. You know, I think that's the biggest thing and looking forward to, you know, new seasons and, you know, shooting our world. We're hearing, you know, there's new teams coming in and playing and our league's getting stronger, but the game as a whole, I feel like at our level is getting, getting stronger. And, um, you know, when you, when you leave Omaha, now our fans took over Omaha, but the previous year being that we were all sitting home and didn't have any baseball to play, I think, I think that made it even more special. Just, you know, hey, we're here. We're, you know, now it's getting worse again, I guess, down here at least. But, um, you know, being able to get back on the field and have fans and have everybody be a part was huge. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you guys for everything y'all do. And we'll see you in uh, January. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. I'll be here before you know it. All right, man. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much to Coach Lamonis for making time to come on the podcast. His schedule is packed after the national championship, and it means a lot that he carved out time to record. Congrats again to the Bulldog players and staff for their first national championship. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West and the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore abca, Instagram ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.